The Secrets of Star Wars is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. I am Emily Swallow, also known as the Armorer on The Mandalorian. And I'm just giving a little shout out to the Secrets of Star Wars podcast because this is the way. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars. Episode 181. Hello there. It's a power that Jedi have that lets them control people and make things float. Impressive. Every word in that sense was wrong. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I find your lack of faith disturbing. It's against my programming to impersonate a dead. That's not how the Force works. Force is with me, and I am with the Force. And I fear nothing. Remember, the Force will be with you, always. Hi, I'm Robert King, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Wars, where we look at the deeper themes and meanings found in the stories and characters of that galaxy far, far away. As Christmas approaches, our minds turn to a figure long foretold by prophecy to be born supernaturally without a father, one who will cast mighty ones from their thrones, overcome the reign of darkness, and usher in a new era of freedom. Yes, celebrating Jesus' birth at Christmas reminds us of all the similarities to Star Wars' idea of the Chosen One. Because we're Star Wars geeks, and of course it does. <laughs> Joining me on the panel today are Patrick Mason. It's good to have you, Patrick. It's good to be here. Thank you. And Thomas Salerno. Welcome, Thomas. Thank you, Robert. It's great to be here. So let's just get into it. According to Wikipedia, the most authoritative source of anything in the galaxy. <laughs> We've established that several times over yes. the course of the last couple episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Despite lots of fan speculation and controversy, George Lucas himself came out and officially and canonically said that Anakin Skywalker is the chosen one, fulfilling the prophecy. But in typical George Lucas fashion, didn't even go on to say what exactly that meant. <laughs> so so i i, I want to start with because i mean star wars is is just so huge right um i want to start with just like what is this prophecy and what is the chosen one what do we know about it what um you know where does it come from and 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 like yeah what what do we know canonically at least um and I don't know. I'll just pick Patrick to start us off here. <laughs> you, I mean, you, you looked almost ready. <laughs> almost. Days. I'm confused. Um, I, honestly, it feels like not much is is known. Like, at least in Harry Potter, we eventually get to hear the prophecy. It takes like six books to get to five, maybe, <laughs> or six. Yeah, it's yeah. quite a ways in. But we never actually, I don't think ever hear, like, the words of the prophecy or or... If it's just kind of like an old wives' tale prophecy that's been passed down, you know, maybe it was some Jedi somewhere was like, oh yeah, someday there's going to be someone who brings balance. And then, you know, a hundred generations later, it's now some grand prophecy <laughs> that has to be fulfilled. It, we don't. Jedi telephone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I mean, when it's first brought up in with 
in episode one, right? Um, it, it it's it's like not everyone on the council is on board with there even being a prophecy, right? I mean, I'm trying to remember because it kind of feels like I feel like Mace Windu is like totally on board with it. Yeah, but I'm trying to think of what the other reactions were. And and what they thought, because, I mean, Yoda's always sort of enigmatic. It's kind of hard to read what what he was. Uh, Difficult to read he is. <laughs> <laughs> Difficult to parse, too, sometimes. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, like, in that movie, a lot of the council is just kind of there. And we don't really get their thoughts on stuff. And what we're given is, like, we're we're not even given the text of this supposed prophecy. All they tell us is that a prophecy exists of a Jedi who will bring balance to the Force. And and that's it. I think from episode 1, I think that's all we get. And there's there's definitely controversy over whether this boy is mm-hmm. the chosen one of the prophecy. But I and I have to admit it's been a little while since I've watched episode one, but um, I, I have the impression that like the council was, was not entirely uh, on the same page as to um, the importance of the prophecy and, and mm. you know, whether it was even canonical. Like, part of, part, yeah. Canonical within <laughs> yeah. the universe. Yeah. 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 Well, and, and like, you know, there's sort of a, there's a question there because it gets brought up at the same time as the Sith, like, okay, the Sith have reemerged and we have this chosen one who who's fulfilling this prophecy. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to imagine in a lot of the council's minds, they're like, I mean, like the chosen one is supposed to bring balance though. So like, what does that mean exactly? Because if, if, you figure the chosen one would show up at a time of great trial and tribulation. And from their perspective, you know, they don't know episode three is coming. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they've been um, sitting pretty for some amount of time. It seems like quite a bit of of time they've been doing well. And the Jedi have been doing well and everything's hunky dory. Why do we need a chosen one now? Like, why would the prophecy be fulfilled now? Um, I think you, you get a little, if I remember correctly, you get a little bit of that from Yoda. He's sort of pointing out, yeah, we've got the Sith showing up and this chosen one at the same time, and maybe they're related. But I, I would think that your average Jedi, uh, you know, might know about the prophecy or think that maybe it's real, but not that it's for now, right? It's not, you know, a lot of times you have kind of the chosen one messiah sort of prophecies are for people who are in a downtrodden state who are in need of a savior. And I would imagine most, most Jedi, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't be looking around thinking, yeah, we really need a savior right now. Like (laughs) not, not at the beginning of episode one. Yeah. 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 Um, things, things get pretty bad pretty quickly though. Um, I feel like Qui-Gon is the outlier. He views the Jedi as kind of stagnant, and maybe mm-hmm. they do need something to kind of shake them up, you know, to kind of get them back on the right path. I, I know in one of the the recent canonical novels, Master and Apprentice, which takes place right before Episode 1, 
they delve more into Qui-Gon's misgivings, especially about the council. And mm-hmm. he expresses a lot of like the Jedi are too like connected to the Republic government. And that leaves the door open to just being essentially enforcers of the status quo. And Qui-Gon really doesn't like that. He's wants to be more of the knight errant, you know, going out and helping the downtrodden and not having to deal with procedure when he does that. And I feel like he 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 he's the one like who's I guess in kind of biblical language we would say whose eyes are open, who's on the lookout for a chosen one, where everyone else is just kind of it's not like you were saying, Pat, it's not even on their radar. I don't think. Yeah, because you I mean you get that very clearly the state of things in the Tales of the Jedi in Dooku's mm-hmm. story. Yeah, where he he's like, wait a minute, like you want me to do what to these indigenous people because this senator back home wants it done. This is not right. (laughs) This is not our job. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, I think, I think there's a lot to that. I've always liked kind of the feeling you get from Qui-Gon about his mistrust of the, how the order was when he was there. And do you think that Qui-Gon was like, seeing look do you think Qui-Gon was deliberately looking for the chosen one or do you think he was just sort of a true believer in the prophecy and and saw the signs and and jumped on them when he saw them I feel it was that I I get the sense that it was more the latter that just his eyes were open to see he as soon as he he in episode one like as soon as he hears this kid didn't have a father his mind immediately goes to that prophecy because that's really mm-hmm. the only other detail they mention that's in the prophecy that the the chosen one will be a virgins in the force, like a a a a being conceived by the force. How mm-hmm. however that's supposed to work is not made clear, but yeah, mini chlorians. Mi- <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess so. It's over. She was overshadowed by the midichlorians. I don't. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I I have to admit, when when the prequels came out, I I was more like I was actually fine with the midichlorians. I I thought that was a was a great way of seeing the like the the reliance of the Jedi on science and technology rather than relying directly on the Force. Yeah. But um. Oh, when I was but, a kid, I just took it for granted. I was like, okay, oh, the yeah. movie said so. And yeah. like, only when I got older did I start to question it. <laughs> but, well, if but, me, but like, the, the idea of a chosen one, like a prophesied chosen one, that threw me more because that, mm-hmm. that was a theme that didn't come out in the original trilogy in, in episodes uh, four, five, and six. And so it, it kind of took me by surprise when when I you know, when the prequels came out and, and suddenly it's a huge theme in these, in these movies. Yeah. And it felt, it was like, it was kind of odd. Um, because I want to say that movie released the uh, episode one released like the same year as the matrix. And, um, you have like that movie is extraordinarily focused on the concept of like a Messiah chosen one savior, the one, right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Qui-Gon, he doesn't strike me as being a Morpheus analog, right? He's not told by some Jedi Master or Force Ghost that, hey, you're going to find the Chosen One or the 
you know, the the Jedi um, chosen one. But uh, unlike in the Matrix, we have Mor- Morpheus, who is told by the Oracle, "You you will find the one." I mean, those mm-hmm. are some pretty strong, <laughs> strong prophetic words to give somebody. Um, which actually that makes me question: like, where do the where? How is how is a prophecy supposed to work in Star Wars? Because you know, hmm. the way biblical prophecy works is, you know, a prophet is is not someone who foretells the future necessarily. It's someone who speaks for God, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's the person right. who takes on as God's confidant, effectively, and then speaks it out. And a lot of times it is some kind of prophecy, but a lot of times it's sort of a, a hey, if you don't um, uh, shape up. You know, I'm going to destroy this place. <laughs> That's a lot of times what it is. <laughs> There's a lot of if then in, mm-hmm. in biblical prophecy. Yeah. And so the like, you know, the the messianic prophecy portions of the biblical prophets typically runs in the same streamline. You you have the OK, well, um, now that I've you know, now that you've been scattered to the wind, I am going to bring you back and I'm going to make you whole and you'll be you know, ruled over by David or in the line of David, all mm-hmm. that sort of wrapped up. Into I myself that. will shepherd the, yeah, the right. flock. Yeah. 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 Um, which is, you know, just an amazing analogy that just pops up again and again through the prophets. But like, how does that work in star Wars? Like what, is it just somebody forecasting into the future via the force? And then they tell somebody, Hey, this is what I saw in the, future and that gets written down and that's what a prophet Mm. like how does a how does a prophecy form in star wars and that's what i think that's what caught me off guard because it didn't Mm. seem it didn't seem forcey like it didn't seem (laughs) i don't know if that's right but it didn't seem to fit with the whole force thing especially because with force force visions are are notoriously difficult to interpret as as Yoda makes clear always in motion is the future mm-hmm. because of human choice so it's like even if someone had a force vision of the future how could they be certain that th- that's exactly how it's going to turn out or how, how can they draw firm conclusions from that yeah because yeah, I get uh, like you said. I I get the sense that a, a forced vision of the future is is of a possibility of the future, not of of the definite future itself. What really struck me, even as a kid, when I saw episode one, it was, wow, they are gonna they're being really on the nose with the the allegory here. Like the the virgin birth and everything that mm, kind of yeah. threw me. That just seemed not Star Wars. I mean, e- even even Tolkien doesn't go there. <laughs> the, the virgin <laughs> the virgin birth, you know. I'm like, and 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 the Lord of the Rings is it has explicitly Christian themes in it, whereas Star Wars is kind of a mix of many different faith traditions. But Lucas decides to go for the jugular and explicitly virgin birth savior and um and that that just threw me even as a kid i'm like it didn't seem to fit in the semi-coherent i mean as as much as star wars has a coherent worldview the this just didn't seem to fit well it you know it reminds me actually and um i didn't put this in the in the notes that 
we were preparing from, but as we're talking, it reminds me more and more of Dune and the, um, the way which the was Bene a Gesserit, big influence on Star Wars. Yeah. And, and the way, um, in, in Dune, Frank Herbert set up the Bene Gesserit as this, uh, organization that used religion to socially engineer the galaxy. Um, and so they would they would put these prophecies out there that all of their all of their initiates would would know and understand and be able to use in order to um, manipulate societies into doing what they wanted. And this messianic prophecy, they kind of they kind of weirdly stumbled onto this messianic prophecy of the Kwisatz Haderach. It it ended up um, being like much bigger than they intended it to be. They wanted the Kwisatz Haderach to be something they could control. And instead it fulfilled all of their prophecies in, in ways beyond what they could imagine. And I get the sense that Lucas in taking in, in kind of saying, yes, absolutely. Anakin is the chosen one, but he turns into Darth Vader, but Darth Vader ends the, you know, I, I feel like he's, he's like digging for depth there and digging mm. for like a, a surprising fulfillment of the prophecy in a way that nobody could have imagined. Um, but, but I think he, he kind of, yeah, relies a little too heavily on the prophecy being a sufficient background for it. Whereas Frank Herbert, like put a lot of effort into developing the background behind the prophecies in, in the Dune universe. Right. Like there was, there was a very solid reason why Paul could fall into the role of the Mahdi. Um, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, his choice of name fitting in with that, uh, very succinctly with the Muad'Dib and, that that does that background doesn't seem to exist in Star Wars, right? We don't we don't you know, every world we go to, we don't encounter this. Or at least from what we're shown, right? It it's possible that in a lot of the the you know, religious practices of the people who live on the planets they could have these these prophecy kind of things, but it's never really shown or showcased or and and we don't get that from the Jedi either. Like they don't Yeah, yeah. And uh, you figure if there was something like some sort of background thing to this going on, the council would either a be aware of it or B would want to investigate it. And they, they seem pretty blase about it. <laughs> they're, they're like, Oh yeah, sure. He could be the chosen one, but maybe not. And let's just not train him. You know, let's, you know, yeah. <laughs> he is too old. Yeah. He's yeah. too old. <laughs> he's nine. He's too old. I'm like way too old. Yeah, so I he he can walk on his own. He's too old. Too old. Too old. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like and and so yeah, it it just kind of comes out of left field. Um I felt like I felt like the virgin birth thing. I, I almost eh, a lot of me just like in in headcanon, I just think, yeah, she was lying. <laughs> like I I, because it just doesn't fit. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah. I mean, you know, if that's canon, that's canon, that's fine. And that's, that's what it is. But it does, it's, it's for me, it comes out of such a left field place and it, I, I didn't feel like it needed to, right? Like 
Anakin and his journey into Vader and then Vader back to Anakin is such a powerful story in and of itself. Like he does, he, yeah. it doesn't need to be propped up. Like there's no buttressing, buttressing needed here. The wall's going to stand on its own. <laughs> right. Yeah. Although I suppose the, I mean, I, I can kind of see it from Lucas's point of view that, that you've got this great character and you want to, to show the, you, you want to have the most dramatic shift from, you know, innocence as a child to to uh, the evil of the dark side in Darth Vader to redemption in Return of the Jedi, right? And and I can see how the idea of making him a a prophesied, promised, chosen one um, just elevates those. And 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 again, remembering that that um, you know Lucas was a big fan of Joseph Campbell, who was, you know, conflating and syncretizing mythology together. Um, I, there, again, there's a, uh, let's see. Yeah. Um, there's a quote on, on Wikipedia from George Lucas. He says, whether it's Hindu, Chinese, or Middle Eastern, all the mythological heroes didn't have fathers. The fathers were the gods. Um, and, and, you know, you get the sense that he, he felt like in order for, for Vader to be this great mythological hero, he had to be, um, sort of quoting or, or as, as he might say, rhyming with, you know, all the mythologies of earth. But I feel Um, like that's not entirely accurate. I mean, I, I've been... I've been diving into a lot of the Arthur mythos lately. Okay, yeah, as, yeah. As, as research for a project I'm working on. And Arthur doesn't have a divine father. Ar- Arthur's actually the, the product of, you know, um, an out-of-wedlock, you know, relationship. So there yeah. are, like, Albeit great... Arranged by magic. Arranged by magic, <laughs> arranged by Merlin, yeah. But yeah, it's yeah. Like, but in the But in the sense that, like, okay, there's... There's sort of quasi-divine influence there, but he's not a direct descendant of the gods. He's not Pericles or or Jason or one of the other Greco-Romanic heroes. Like, um, I'm trying to remember if like if if Beowulf is a descendant of the gods or not. But yeah, I, I feel like I feel like it, it's an interesting thought, but I feel like it didn't need to be this way because even when like he, he was heavily influenced by Campbell when he wrote the original trilogy and he was fine with having Luke be a farm boy from nowhere, who is the, the son of a renowned Jedi, but not a God. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about like his, his early, before he added a lot of the prequel backstory it it feels like this was something that came out of his later thoughts and ruminations about how to expand this universe. Yeah, it almost felt like a like kind of a thing he was like cuz Luke is the, you know, the heroic figure in mm-hmm. 4, 5 and 6. You have, you know, Luke's a heroic arc and uh Vader's redemption arc or Anakin's redemption arc, uh, you know, concurrently going on. And 
and it almost feels like he wants to backtrack Luke into that uh, stereotype, uh, stereotype's not the right word, but <laughs> into that, that archetype? trope archetype. archetype, archetype. Yeah. He wants to back Luke into that archetype, but he can't do it because he's already established he's Vader's son, right? With the, mm-hmm. you know, one of the best lines in all of um, cinema. And, uh, <laughs> no, Luke, I'm... <laughs> Ben is your father. <laughs> you imagine? <laughs> I, I, I think that's what they said on the, on the set. On, on the day. Oh, I've heard that story. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah but anyway, go on. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Let's do an episode about that. <laughs> yeah. uh, this week we're doing daddy issues in Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would probably be a solid episode, I have to admit. That's, yeah. 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 I have to file that away. Went away. Um, and I am I have derailed. I am sorry. <laughs> um, you were saying about how they, they wanted to backtrack Luke oh, into yeah. the archetype. Yeah, so you so you can't you can't backtrack Luke into that archetype of being, you know, no father or, or being born of the gods or, or of the force, which is your god's analog in this universe. Mm-hmm. So you can but you can do it with Anakin, right? There's there's no who are Anakin's parents and we can back that into it. Um it's interesting that I, I guess I'm glad that also didn't happen with Ray. Although honestly, it would have been more slightly more interesting than what they did. I think. <laughs> I, yeah, Ray is. Oh, I don't know. I I see the whole sequel trilogy is just a, a collection of missed opportunities. Thank you. And I actually <laughs> wrote. I wrote. I wrote a blog post with that where that was the title. The, the yeah. sequel trilogy was a galaxy of missed opportunities. Yeah. That's a really yeah. good way to put it. Um, I, I really like Ray as, as I, I should say, I really like the potential that Ray has as mm-hmm. a character. Um, and, and for that matter, I, I love the potential that Finn has as a character. And, and I think he is the most under, underdeveloped of, of the, characters from the the sequel trilogy but 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 yeah ray i think they could have done a lot with making her you know with with like doubling down on on ryan johnson's you know you're you're nobody's child you're you're the the child of you know junk traders who sold you for you know for nothing (laughs) and um Especially yeah. since the whole kind of like one of the overarching themes of Star Wars is don't let your family past define you. Yeah. And, she, you know, she could have run with that, you know, that like it doesn't matter that my parents abandoned me, that I'm quote unquote nobody, that nobody special. That doesn't that doesn't make me who I am. You know, I remember it, there was a. There was a lot of people saying, like, are are when those movies, when the sequels were coming out, like, are they retconning this? Is Ray, are they retconning Ray as the chosen one? I remember there was a lot of talk about that, or or the Ray Kylo or Ray Ben Solo uh, dyad mm. as the chosen one. Yeah. Um. It, so, is there is there anything about the dyad that shows up anywhere before that movie? Yes, my okay. brother and I. My brother and I have talked about this because he 
Last uh, this past year, he played the um, the Kotor games, okay. and apparently there is something very very similar in the first Kotor game. That there are these two characters who form kind of a light and dark dyad, and he's like, Interesting. I, and 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 in fact, like after he after my brother played the first Kotor game. And then we were watching The Rise of Skywalker again. He started noticing all these little things. He's like, they were trying to do a poor man's KOTOR, he was, is, is, how he, is how he put it. Like, they were, like, they were taking little bits and things from it, but it just wasn't as good. <laughs> you know, like, they were mining the EU for different ideas. And, like, and, mm-hmm. and they, they took, like, the Palpatine returning from the Dark Empire comics and all that stuff. And in Rise of Skywalker, they kind of cobbled together this this Legends Frankenstein plot, you know. But yeah, apparently there have been they don't I don't think they call it a dyad in KOTOR. But from what my brother tells me, it's essentially the same thing. Well, and and I mean, you could kind of see something like that in in the Mortis family, right, with the, the son and the daughter being so strongly light and dark and, and, Ah. and like linked to each other through the balance of the father. Um, but there's no father though in the die. It's like, yeah, it would have been cool if they had created a mirror of the Mortis entities in that, in the sequel trilogy with mortal characters, but, well, and and it would have been fast because I mean Ray is struggling with um, feelings of being you know tempted toward the darkness, and Kylo Ren is struggling with temptations toward the light, mm-hmm. um, which is another oh my goodness that was such an interesting concept of I'm trying to be dark and I'm yeah. tempted by the light. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, oh, I wish they had like really delved into that. What does that look like? And, and um, I, I, I don't know. Again, missed opportunities. You bring up the but... Mortis gods. That reminds me of like when I first watched that arc of Clone Wars. And I think that that was when it was it was first airing on TV. I was pretty put off by that because it seemed to me like they were trying to say, wait, so the Mortis gods are integral to what the Chosen One is supposed to do. That the Chosen One mm-hmm. is supposed to to literally bring balance between the son and the daughter. But yeah, when by Anakin, taking the father's place. By right. taking the father's place. But when Anakin rejects that role, all the consequences of eventually Revenge of the Sith come into play like but but how but then i think but how literal are we supposed to take the events of the mortis arc because it's kind of like this dream environment so and yet the whole like the whole point the whole premise of that mortis arc was this is here to test you to see if you really are the chosen one Hmm. and and the figure of the father at least really seemed to believe very literalistically that the purpose of the chosen one was to replace him in, in maintaining balance between the father and, or between the, the son and the daughter. Um, which again, you know, like canonically, at least 
according to our favorite source, Wikipedia, um, <laughs> the, the fulfillment of the prophecy was when uh, Anakin Vader threw Palpatine down the reactor shaft and, yeah. and killed him, apparently. Um, Supposedly. 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 And, and just a quick side note, uh, why was there a shaft leading all the way down to the reactor in the throne room of the Emperor? I, I want to introduce you to a little thing called reasons, and, and that's all we're going to say about that. Yeah, I, just, I just had to bring that up, sorry. Like, the, the part that kills me is that it's not that there's a random shaft all the way down in that room. It's the fact that it's one of the few places in the entire Star Wars universe where there are handrails. Like, yeah, it's where the only you have to lift the Emperor up over the handrail. Guardrail, yeah. Because otherwise, everywhere else in the Star Wars universe, you just push them off an edge because there's no handrails. But <laughs> the, the Emperor's throne room is full of handrails. There are it's, handrails on the, like, the, the walk where, where Luke cuts off Vader's hand? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. That's where they all ended up. They're all in that throne room. Like, the entire galaxy's worth of handrails. <laughs> They're all there. It was part of the prophecy. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying this new thing. We're going to install handrails. to see how it works. Yes. <laughs> thou shalt invent a new architectural feature called a handrail. <laughs> Oh man, that is fantastic. I I, I want to bring up the idea of like we we've mentioned a couple of times I think now that Star Wars's worldview is kind of incoherent because they 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 say the chosen one is to bring balance, and I'm like, okay, is is this in kind of a, a Taoist thing where there's where good and evil are supposed to kind of coexist in like this balance, but then no, because Anakin destroys the Sith yet when you, so it essentially destroys the, the mortal manifestations of evil in the galaxy yet to hear some Jedi talk or some force wielders talk or like the Bendu and other stuff. No, it's all about this Taoist kind of balance of good and evil. And I'm like, so which is it? And that's always bugged me yeah. <laughs> about Star a, Wars. I, and I don't remember where it was. It was a comic that came out during the prequel times, and it was a short. It, like it was, it wasn't like a like a comic from a newspaper. It was an actual comic book. And I say comic mm -hmm. book because it wasn't very long, maybe like three or four pages. And it was basically Mace Windu and Yoda having a conversation at a McDonald's, the, the Star <laughs> Wars equivalent. And and, and <laughs> yeah. Yoda like mind wipes. I was say, maybe this was a McDonald's tie-in product. Might, might have been because <laughs> he he mind wipes the server and says, "Yeah, we don't need to pay. Our payment you do not need." Um, <laughs> like, and, are you was, kidding? No, I'm what? not. And I was like sitting there going, "That's wow. that's a lot." But but as if we needed any more evidence <laughs> that the Jedi were corrupt, right? <laughs> did did but, they order Jawa juice? I don't like in episode two. <laughs> I don't remember. Um, but but in it, like he um, Yoda has the salt and pepper shakers and he pours a whole bunch of salt on the table and he flecks a couple pieces of pepper on the table. And he's explaining to Mace, it's like, this is the current like setup. We have all of these Jedi 
and we have two mm-hmm. Sith. And then he blows the salt away, and there's two two pieces of salt sitting there and two two pieces of pepper, and he's like, this is balance. So what is the Chosen One really supposed to be doing here, and why did he show up now? That's basically the, the gist of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of what I get, like, you have... You know, in episode three, Revenge of the Sith, you have the destruction of the Order, and mm-hmm. obviously through through canon, far more than just the two survive, right? The original two, yeah. you know, Obi Wan and, and Yoda, um, and then you know, Return of the Jedi, you have effectively the destruction of the Sith, and so you do have sort of a, a balance operation that happens there. Um, it's not fully balanced, but yeah, it's not. It's not good well, triumphs. <laughs> I mean, Luke is Luke is a Jedi in a very loose sense. Um, He's a Jedi like know. his father before him. Yeah, <laughs> Anakin was very much a temple Jedi, right? Yeah. He he was he was trained. He was uh, you know mentored as a Padawan. He was yeah. Luke, Luke is, is what Balin would call a Boken Jedi, trained exactly. in the wild. Yeah. And and I kind of get the sense that, okay, the Jedi are wiped out, and then this sort of sort of air of the Jedi, but not the same kind of Jedi as before, wipes out the Sith. Um and, and I suppose I'm kind of leaning into the the theory of Luke as the chosen one here. Hmm, um yeah. But but that you know the Sith are are wiped out. There are no more Sith. There are no more Jedi. That in a sense these institutional structures were what were causing the imbalance in the Force. Um, but again, I don't. I, I I mean I think that the the canonical idea is that the Jedi are continuing. Uh, in Luke, um, that that Luke re- is is a true Jedi, in the sense of of the old order, and that that same order is continuing. Like there's continuity. Yeah, but I feel like it butts up against the problem. Kind of, of... like the Jesuits. <laughs> oh right, when they are when they are suppressed and then yeah yeah reinstitutionalized. But yeah, it's like I feel like it also butts up against the problem of evil because, okay, you destroy the Sith, but you don't really wipe out evil in the galaxy. Yeah. Because as long as there's, you know, free will and as as we would explain it as Christians, you know, sin, you know, in the universe, Mm -hmm. you know, as long as there's entropy in the universe, death in the universe, there's going to be natural and, you know, quote unquote human evil that exists. And so, like, destroying the Sith is not going to get rid of that. It's almost like the Chosen One, because the the Chosen One can't do what we believe the Messiah does. You know, make atonement for for evil in the universe. You know, it's more like the Chosen One is a band-aid on the problem. He's He's destroying the sort of, the... The, the mortal figures in the universe who are the prime movers of a lot of the evil going on. But he's not dealing with the metaphysical problem of evil at its root. He's just treating the symptoms. Kind of like as, you know, and we recorded an episode recently on Avatar The Last Airbender. That's what I feel about that series. The Avatar is a band-aid 
on the real problem. Because the Avatar cannot deal successfully with the metaphysical root of evil. Mm-hmm. Although, in that series, I think they come closer to trying to make... They address the it, but they don't... Yeah. It doesn't, you know... The Avatar is not going to die for the salvation of the universe. It, it, The Avatar just can't because of what it, it is. It's not yeah. God. So <laughs> there's that, that, that problem of atonement is still there. And yeah, and it, it's, it's the same thing with, you know, with the Chosen One in Star Wars. It's, it's an allegory, but it's not a one-to-one, you know, the Chosen One is not Aslan, I right. guess is what I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, well, maybe let's, let's, let's flip the conversation a little bit then. We've, we've talked about how Lucas really doubled down on the Christian imagery, you know, Anakin is, as fulfilling very Christ-like prophecies. Um, what happens when we start trying to apply like this trope of the chosen one to Jesus Christ himself? Like is, is Jesus a good, um, chosen one in, in, in the, like, I don't know, dramatic or storytelling sense. Um, I mean, he definitely checks off a lot of these boxes that, that we think of when we think of the chosen one, you know, the, uh, you know, foretold by prophecy and, and, um, immensely powerful. Um, although we don't see like, like so many of these chosen one, um, stories are about like warriors in some form or other. And Anakin is absolutely a warrior. Um, well, even in Jesus, old Testament, so much. in old Testament prophecy, the Messiah is described in warrior like terms, but this it's not true. fulfilled in a literal sense, the way people were expecting. He does battle with sin on the cross, but he's not a general leading armies to defeat temporal, you know, villains. Or, or a hero going against a villain in single combat. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think the, <clears throat> you, once you get out of the gate with, you know, the, the Christ, the, the nativity stories, you know, him being the virgin birth and the, um, introduction of the temple and, and that sort of establishment stuff. And then, you know, he goes into anonymity for 30 plus years and he comes out mm -hmm. of anonymity as an itinerant preacher, right? He's not, he's, you know, the guy going against the, the big folks and trying to save the world. He doesn't, you know, come in and, and change all the, uh, you know, kick out all the priests and, and take over the temple. He doesn't, you know, there's no big battle between him and the invading army or him and the, the gods who need mm -hmm. to fall or, or the Roman gods, you know, <laughs> I don't know what even the analog would be there. Um, he's this itinerant preacher who, who does these, you know, um, wonder works, but he, he does it for the people, you know, the low, the low person, right. The, the, the little guy, right. He does it for, mm -hmm. for, you know, the sick, the poor, the outcast, the downtrodden, He's always on their Occ side. Occasionally, even the enemy, the centurion's yeah. uh, servant or son. Um, yeah, the the Syrophoenician woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And 
and so he doesn't f- like he's not necessarily like a the you know the super champion of his people right he's he's effectively rejected by large swaths of his own people he's he's even rejected by his disciples after the uh after the the bread of life discourse uh, most of them walk away mm-hmm. from him and and then you mm-hmm. see the the temple drama play out after that um in Jerusalem and so i i honestly i think the chosen one stuff like it does it 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 only fits jesus from the perspective of the biblical prophecy if you really read the biblical prophecy and understand what's what it's really saying like understand mm-hmm. the, what the concept of being a good shepherd really means of of you know mm-hmm. what establishing you know uh a real heart over a heart of stone of, of putting the law inside instead of it being Mm -hmm. applied on the outside, what that really means. And so I think when you try and compare him to, you know, any other sort of mythological chosen one, you know, he's not going up and and fighting God. He's, he's, he's honestly, (laughs) you know, rectifying us to God, Mm -hmm. um, through, you know, through the will of his father. And so, it doesn't, it, it seems to fit, you know, it's sort of like one of those jigsaw pieces that you find where the first couple parts fit and then the rest of it just doesn't. And then, and you yeah. know, you try, you can try and mash it in all you want, but you, you're not going to get there and you have to go back and find something else. That's, that's yeah. what it strikes me as. It as, subverts classical mythological themes. It echoes them, but then it's it like you were saying, Pat, it just completely subverts them with this. You know, he he doesn't go up and yeah and storm heaven and fight the gods or, you know, he, he doesn't, you know, do like Heracles's 12 labors or something like that. You know, like mm-hmm. it's but at the same time, it's like I, I think like I feel like C.S. Lewis would say that the old myths are kind of rough echoes of what's actually fulfilled in the gospel. That. There's a sort of revelation going on to the Gentile peoples where if you look in like uh, the, the even like even Campbell notices it, but he doesn't get it right. Like he he sees Jesus as another one of these dying and rising gods. But it's like, well, mm-hmm. no, what if all the other dying and rising gods are the dim kind of glimmer that the Gentile nations are seeing of what? is real revelation that God will come down to earth and die and rise for the salvation of the human race. Yeah. I, I and I want to say I, this was Lewis, but it may have been Chesterton, but it was the concept of if you have an event this big in space time, it's like dropping, you know, a, a large, you know, some water in a puddle. And it's going to expand in every direction and it's going to echo mm, in every mm-hmm. direction. So this expectation that it would only echo forward and it wouldn't echo backward is dumb. <laughs> like it doesn't, you know, from, <laughs> from a guy who studied astrophysics quite a yeah, bit when in you, college. <laughs> when you think how space and time work, yeah, it doesn't just go forward. Right. It's yeah. So, so maybe the prophecy is the result of Christ's action just as much as as the church is the result of Christ's action or the sacraments um which is something you were saying earlier 
I, I got me thinking about how the nature of a prophecy and the nature of a chosen one relies so much on the the problem that the chosen one is supposed to solve and um so so heracles is is fighting off all of these monsters the monsters are the problem he is you know this child of a god who who goes out and confronts the monsters and so on but christ is um he's taking on the the sins of humanity and so he recapitulates in himself all of these significant figures you know adam and noah and moses and david and so on um all of these um figures who have a a significant role in the story of salvation kind of come together in who Christ is and, and he is the fulfillment of kind of what they were foreshadowing. Um, and I think that, that like brings it back to star Wars a little bit um, in that. I, I think this is the, the central problem with um, the chosen one trope in star Wars is we really don't know what the problem is that Anakin is solving. And it's, yeah, it's, it's not, it's clearly not the problem of all evil. Mm -hmm. It's not clear if this Jedi Sith thing is itself a problem or how it's a problem. Um, like, like even, even like the emperor's goal for galactic domination like makes less and less sense the more you think about it. Mm -hmm. um, like, and like if you if you want power, like real power, like you you can get it without being being in the limelight. You can like it's he kind of had it already in mm -hmm. a lot of ways. right. He was already running like a war with himself without being <laughs> yeah. in center stage. Um. He and, was like me as is... a kid when I would play Risk against myself. Like, that's basically <laughs> what he was doing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've, I've definitely I, never I mean, done I, that. I love, I love uh. um, Lucas's <laughs> vision of, of, a hero, uh, of a hero, of heroism. Um, and, and, like, Luke Skywalker captured my imagination as, as a child. And, and Qui-Gon Jinn really captured my imagination as a heroic figure and um and the way obi-wan developed he he became more and more of a, a great heroic figure and i think lucas was magnificent at evoking an evil figure but i don't think he ever like knew what was behind that evil um like darth maul was all was at his best when he said almost nothing. Um, and you know, Darth Vader was, was at his best when you didn't know if he had a face behind the mask, you know? So I, I almost feel like Lucas was, was, um, overreaching himself when he tried to fill in the gaps in some ways. I don't know. Especially because in early drafts of Star Wars, the Emperor is really a minor figure. It's mm. really the Moths and Darth Vader who run everything. 
and the emperor is kind of this figurehead who they hold up as to kind of like for people to rally around. But the real evil is kind of the institution, the machine, which is a mm. uh, which is something that Lucas was really, you know, if you watch like, uh, well, I haven't watched it, but you know, I've I've seen summaries of like his film THX. You know, there's oh, a yeah, lot yeah. of that with the the machine, the institution that just grinds the normal person or the nonconformist into the dust. You know, that was his idea of evil, this kind of faceless machine. Which he then abandons, and instead he embodies evil in Palpatine later as the mm-hmm. series progresses. And it's no longer the faceless machine. Like you said, Darth Vader doesn't have a face, he's just the mask, you know. More machine now than man. Yeah. Twisted and evil. I think that was yes. that's the problem a lot of people had with Kylo Ren, was that they saw his face too early. Like, I think if he'd been a masked character for the entirety of the episode seven, you wouldn't have heard nearly the amount of complaints about him <laughs> that there would have been. Um, Maybe. Maybe, yeah. I, I thought he was a, a more a, of like a clever subversion of Darth Vader. Like, I, I liked that he wasn't Darth Vader, and I felt that was the whole point of him. And and, and speaking of that, that the, the sequel trilogy, like, you mentioned before... Um, uh, Robert about like the the cycle like we we just had that mentioned in Ahsoka where there's even though the Sith mm-hmm. are gone mm-hmm. there's still this cycle of empires of the dark side and and you know the Jedi rising and falling and constantly you know replacing one another so even though Anakin's gotten rid of the the Sith as an institution that battle between light and darkness will appear to be continuing on into the future for eternity uh, or, or until the universe ends <laughs> <laughs> or until Disney runs out right, of money. Yeah. <laughs> well, he said it right. The universe ends, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I wonder like, how did the original Sith empire fall apart? And did they have their own chosen one sort of Anakin thing happen then? is 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 sort of is the chosen one the universe's uh checks and balance play out like okay we've got this one group of force wielders that's just too dominant and too strong and i'm getting out of balance so i'm going to inject a little bit of um you know virgin birth here and 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 imbue this guy with the or gal with the most possible force ever and and they're going to write the ship for me. Um, and that strikes me as kind of a, a like, if, if I was going to come up with a problem that Anakin sort of solves, um, both through both the prequels and the, because he, he first, he takes down the new Republic and then he takes down <laughs> the empire. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, if I, if I was going to say what problem was he solving, it was like, that would have to be it. Um, but that's working backwards from, what he did and not working forward from like, what was his purpose? But that, that to me is the only thing I come back to because of the, the balance piece of the prof- prophecy, right? He's supposed to bring balance. Well, like from whose perspective, like who, who, exactly. who are we looking at that from here? Yeah. What, what certain point of view do we have on this? <laughs> the, pro- the prophecy itself is a retcon and that, yeah. comes with its own baggage and all these problems where we're having to work 
backwards from the material we already have to kind of cobble together a prophecy that fits what we know is going to happen. And so, like, it's the problem inherent in prequels, I think. And yet, I mean, yeah, this yeah, is, this exactly. Is, yeah, this is my love-hate relationship with Star Wars, yeah. right? It's it's like it's there's so much, um, just good raw story mm-hmm. in it that that just grabs at my heart and my gut, right? And and it's like it it it's enough, it's enough of a of a uh like a mirror to the truth that that I recognize really profound themes in it and really important stuff. And then the details get kind of problematic. <laughs> the more you, and, and the more people try to make it all fit together, it's like, no, these, it's almost like these are pieces from a lot of different puzzles, which, which in a sense is, I mean, that's Lucas's original vision. You know, he was taking from Westerns. He was taking from samurai movies. He was taking from, you know, uh, Arthurian myths and, and kind of, dumping them all into a pot and stirring it up. Um, If I can paraphrase Qui-Gon, I feel like Star Wars movies are at their best that when you watch them, to to paraphrase Qui-Gon, feel, don't think. It's like, Star Wars movies should make me feel. Yeah. Should make me feel, if I start overanalyzing and thinking too much, it, it doesn't mean that there's nothing deep there and that they're just superficial. But I mean, mm-hmm. like, don't overanalyze, but but feel it's supposed a Star Wars movie is supposed to make your heart and imagination soar. And that's what they do yes. when they're at their best. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And that I, yeah. I mean, those are by far the best parts of the sequel trilogy in my yes. mind. Like the conversation mm-hmm. between uh, Ben and uh, Han on mm-hmm. the bridge, like where he is struggling and and. Uh, Han thinks he's struggling in one direction and it turns out he's he's been struggling in the other direction and the whole concept like Mm -hmm. you brought up before the concept of like struggling against good it's just so fascinating to con as a concept to to consider Um, and then watching his and uh, Ray's relationship is probably the best part of the whole of for me at least Um, and then you know (laughs) that reminds me of uh, the mystery science theater uh, 3000 theme song where they remind you that if you start to get concerned about all the science facts, like how they eat, yeah. breathe, maybe just consider it's just a show and you should really just relax. <laughs> <laughs> or, or that like, um, Mark Hamill tells the story of how, you know, he was, he was, they were shooting the scene right after they get off the trash compactor. And he was saying, shouldn't our clothes be dirty and shouldn't our hair be wet and things like this. And Harrison Ford turns to me and he says, it ain't that kind of movie kid. (laughs) 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 And, and it's like, yeah, yeah, we need to, we need to like, this is the, um, I don't know the, the, the leap of faith in a sense we need to make with star Wars, um, to just trust, trust your feelings, <laughs> um, use your instincts. Well done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> star it. Wars is, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's great for getting at some of these, these, um, truths of the heart. It's not so great for getting at other truths. <laughs> 
we have ranged far afield. Um, <laughs> but this has been a fantastic conversation. I've enjoyed it a lot. Um, do you guys have any final thoughts about about the Chosen One in Star Wars, about Jesus Christ as a Chosen One figure, about the trope itself, or, or maybe about anything completely off topic? Completely off topic, you say. That's not a challenge. <laughs> I I think zebra bananas, yeah. of course. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Why spots? Why not stripes? <laughs> I think I I'm going to be very interested interested to see in the coming movies and shows whether it becomes a reoccurring theme. Like there are the chosen one is a correct. reoccurring like theme. Like there are multiple yeah. chosen ones. It's it's the same as the Messiah concept, right? Messiah just means anointed one, right? There are plenty of anointed mm-hmm. ones throughout the Old Testament. You know, David and Saul and um mm-hmm. the prophet several of the prophets, you know, shown as anointed ones. And sort of you have this culmination in the chosen one or the Messiah in Jesus Christ, uh, but that doesn't mean like he was ever the only one. And so I'm wondering mm-hmm. if they're going to, you know, in the, whatever the movie is, that's supposed to sort of establish the beginning of the force. If that's going to come into play there. Um, I, I, I almost have to assume it's going to be mentioned or something's going to come about it in that. Um, and then if it's, if it's going to come up again later, like with Ray in, in the down the line, uh, kind of a deal. So that, that mm-hmm. I think yeah. that's what I'm interested to see in the future. Yeah, I was going to say something pretty much along those same lines. That especially in the, in the future going forward, I'm interested to see if we will leave behind the kind of Jedi Sith dynamic. I mean, we'll always have good Force users and you know light and dark, but we don't need our bad guys to always have the same specific ideology that the Sith have, you know, that Nietzschean mm-hmm. sort of will to power and in, in the specific way that they do it. So I'm I'm interested to see if in the future, you know, Ray film or there's now there's rumblings about an episode 10, like whether we'll will move beyond, you know, the the Jedi Order you know, and create some sort of new institution of force users that don't have to deal with all that baggage of Jedi ideology about both about the force and about how, what their place in the galaxy is. So I'm, I'm, I'm hoping for, for that, that to kind of bring star Wars in a a new direction. We can always, we have like 25,000 years of like from the beginning of the Jedi order to its fall that we can play with Jedi stuff. I, I think there's plenty there's plenty of room for that. But in the future going forward in the timeline, I want to see if we can maybe have some new kind of force dynamics going on. Yeah, I I, I wonder if we're looking at leaving behind the chosen one uh trope altogether. I, I really like the idea of the you know there being many chosen ones. Um, um, but I also a little bit feel like a lot of the post Jedi adventures are kind of 
diluting the importance of the chosen one as as a storyline and uh i don't know i suppose we'll have to just wait and see what happens um and here on I Secrets have... of Star Wars, you'll be certain that we'll cover it. <laughs> That's right. Definitely That's get to right. hear us talk about it. <laughs> That's our plan. I prophesy that there will be a Secrets of Star Wars episode, and there will be a chosen host and chosen panelists who will discuss all that is to come. Well done, sir. Well done. Golf clap. Golf clap. Thank you. Um, oh, this has been a lot of fun. Um, it's always great to talk with you guys. Dear listeners, we would love to hear your thoughts about all of this as well, about the Chosen One trope, about uh, Anakin, about any other possible Chosen Ones out there, about Jesus, of course, um, and about anything Star Wars related that you would like to talk to. You can drop us a line at starwars at sqpn.com or leave a comment on Facebook at StarQuest Media or you can join our discussion on Discord. This is my favorite place for, for uh, StarQuest conversation. Um, we have a Discord server. You can access that through our website, sqpn.com slash Discord. And if you are a patron, you can even throw us a message on our Patreon page. Um Speaking of Patreon, we want to thank all of our patrons who make it possible for us to create Secrets of Star Wars and all the other shows on StarQuest Media. This episode, we'd especially like to thank Brian Z, John O, Kevin O, Sandra G, and Carlos G for their generous support. If you would like to join them in keeping our work going, visit sqpn.com give. It also helps us when you subscribe to us or leave a, uh, a review or a comment on your favorite podcast platform. Um, we're on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and lots of others. We even have an SKPN YouTube channel. So that is all for now. Um, this episode should drop just before Christmas, so happy holidays and Merry Christmas to all of you out there. Uh... Till next time, Thomas, thank you for being on the show with us. Thank you, Robert. And remember, always in motion is the future. Indeed. Patrick, it's always a pleasure to have you here. It's always a pleasure to be here. Thank you very much. And the merriest of Christmases to you all. Indeed. Thank you. Thank you both for joining me in sharing the secrets of Star Wars. Once again, I've been Robert King. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Star Wars on StarQuest. Hi, folks. This is Dom Bettinelli, CEO of StarQuest, with a special message as we approach the Christmas season. Five years ago, StarQuest launched Jimmy Akin's Mysterious World, which has become one of the most popular Catholic podcasts. The show educates and entertains tens of thousands of people every month, exploring mysteries and showing how we can use critical thinking to evaluate extraordinary claims. We're very proud of how Mysterious World has grown and fulfills our gospel mission. But we're not done yet. We are reaching tens of thousands, but even more people could benefit from hearing this and all the shows at StarQuest in our unique apostolate 
of spreading the gospel with podcasts and videos. To keep growing, we need your help. In the course of those nearly 300 episodes of Mysterious World, we've continually improved the show, adding a video version and animations that help illustrate the concepts we discuss. We've also begun adding video to our other shows as well to enhance their presentations and reach new audiences. We've also launched new shows, most recently, The Secrets of Sacred Art, which is best enjoyed as a video. And we have plans for even more growth, bringing the light of Christ to even more people online. We need your help, though, to make that happen. We have many generous supporters, but as time goes on, some people inevitably have to step back from giving. As a result, our resources have started to decrease. That's why it's very important that we hear from you this Advent and Christmas, the time of year when nonprofits receive most of their support for the year. If you're already a supporter of StarQuest, we thank you and ask you to prayerfully consider increasing your support at this time. If you're not yet a financial supporter, please become one now. Every gift counts. Could you give $15 or even just $10 a month? Whatever level of support you can offer, please show your support for SQPN this Christmas. And remember that your gifts may be tax deductible. Just go to sqpn.com slash give. That's sqpn.com slash give. And may God bless you this Advent, and may you have a blessed Christmas season. Christmas.